Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Good morning. I'm Bill White, an elder serving on session. Please join me for the prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand, freely choose the way of your wisdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We turn to God's word this morning, reading responsively from Psalm 51. Let us listen to God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse from me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. And from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from the 18th chapter, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. So you do not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One thing before we pray and 
look further at the scripture, is just to say this about, it's, it's implicit, but just to be sure that everybody understands. Jesus, in telling the story, is telling a parable, not an allegory. Jesus is not saying this is the way God is. God is like this king. Instead, Jesus is saying, if even a king like you know in this world will do this, how much more will God do this? Let us pray. Oh God, who speaks through so many voices to us, speak once again through these words that your holy word might be heard. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know how to pick a Presbyterian out of a crowd? Now that may sound like the first line of a joke, but actually I'm trying to give you a truer litmus test. It's not foolproof, the test, but it works most of the time as this Methodist boy discovered when he was dating a Presbyterian girl nearly 50 years ago. The test? Pray the Lord's Prayer together and listen. Debts and debtors or trespasses and trespassed against. I think this is right that we Presbyterians and our UCC cousins are the only ones who use debts and debtors. But the difference is more historical than theological. Trespasses was used in the earlier Roman Catholic Latin translations of, this, of the text in Matthew, where Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer. And then trespasses was picked up, picked up in the old Anglican Book of Common Worship. But the word debts and debtors is actually in the Greek in Matthew. And that is, it's been translated as debts and debtors ever since the King James Version. So our Scottish forebears had the chance to either go with scripture and debts or go with the English. Let me just tell you that whenever the Scots had a chance to do something different from the English, they did it. So that is why we say debts and debtors. But personally, I have to say that ever since I came on this Presbyterian path, I've come to appreciate using debts rather than trespasses. I've never really had a great sense of what it means to trespass against God or if somebody has trespassed against me. But debts and debtors, that I fully understand. Those are concrete terms I can appreciate. As could the disciples and crowds that greet Jesus here in Matthew. Because when Jesus is asked about sins and forgiveness, he uses a parable that talks about money, something that Jesus liked to do. He speaks about money more than he does any other subject but the kingdom of God in the Gospels. In any case, he talks about money and debts. Forgive us our debts. Every time we repeat these words, as one pair of commentators has noted, we're acknowledging that our books are in the red as far as God is concerned. Or as a youth in one of my former congregations in confirmation class put it one time, we owe God big time. Indeed, in this parable here, Jesus reminds Peter and us that we cannot repay the debt. The debt owed by that first servant, 10,000 talents, doesn't mean much to our modern ears, but it's estimated by scholars that it was 10 times more than the annual income of King Herod. So this, it's a ridiculous amount. 
It's an amount the servant can never hope to repay. Asking for more time is really a joke. He has not one shred of hope of repaying that debt. So it is for us. We're in debt to God because of our sins and trespasses, and we on our own have no hope of repaying that debt. We may feel like we've earned everything in life, but when it comes to God, we haven't. We haven't come close, and we owe a great debt to God, a debt that we cannot hope to repay. Only God can do it, and the good news is God has chosen to do it in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to another helpful aspect of using debts to speak about where we stand with God. Repaying debts is costly. It costs the king a lot to give up that much money that presumably he's loaned out and will never get back. Do we think it counts nothing for God to forgive our debts, that God can do it with a casual wave of the hand? And we need to look at the cross and be reminded, as First Peter puts it, you know that you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious love of Christ. Forgive us our debts, we are bold to pray, because in Jesus Christ, God has offered to wipe the slate clean, balance the books, because God loves us that much. Debts and debtors are words which make real our true relationship with God. They also make real our true relationship with others. And this is where the rubber really meets the road and where the questions begin. How often do I have to forgive the same person? That's a question that Peter asks here, Jesus here in Matthew 18. But we have our own questions, don't we? Our own struggles with what it means to forgive others who have hurt us. I think about these questions, questions that were raised when we looked at this passage at staff meeting this week. How do I forgive someone if they haven't said they're sorry? How do I forgive someone when even after I forgive them, they don't say they're sorry? How do I forgive someone without condoning or excusing what they did or without being abused again? Is that the only way that I can respond when someone hurts me to forget and forgive? Tough questions, real questions. Some of our questions about forgiving others, however, stem from our misconceptions about what forgiveness truly is. For example, it never says in the Bible forgiveness means forgetting. That comes from King Lear. Forgive and forget. Really, it's impossible for most of us. And if we think otherwise, we're probably just fooling ourselves. As William Mule frequently put it one time, forgiveness does not erase the past or even make the sinner necessarily feel better about his past. Instead, forgiveness gives him back his future. Forgiveness does not forget the past, but it lets that relationship, that future relationship, not be totally defined by that past. In the same way that God's grace does not erase our past, but make sure that we know that we will not be forever defined by it. 
Forgiveness is about second chances. Second, forgiving does not mean condoning or excusing what was done. To forgive is to say, you were wrong and you hurt me. I don't excuse or condone what you did to me, but I do forgive you. Consider this real-life example. Joe sold bargain bread out of a tired old store in a poor neighborhood. One day near closing time, three neighborhood kids walked into Joe's store, pulled a gun, cleaned out the cash, and then, for no reason, one of the boys, Sam, shot him in the stomach. Joe almost died, but he survived after weeks in the hospital. The neighborhood was horrified. Joe was an institution. Sam's parents were horrified. They visited Joe in the hospital, and one night they brought Sam with them. Nobody ever thought that they could get him to come, but he did. And in that hospital room, Joe forgave Sam after talking with him. But when the case came to trial, Joe still testified against him. Sam went to jail. And when he came out, Joe offered him a job. Third, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation, at least among mortal human beings. As Lewis Meads has succinctly written in his thoughtful book, The Art of Forgiveness, it takes one person to forgive, it takes two people to be reunited. Reunion or reconciliation can only take place if there's forgiveness on the part of the one who is hurt and confession, a change of behavior, and some effort at restitution on the part of the one who caused the pain. That's what repairs the relationship. In other words, forgiveness is more about us letting go. That is, to quote Smeeds again, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover the prisoner we set free was us. That's why there is hope for forgiveness when those who have hurt us are no longer around or have even died. In conversations with church folks through the years who have been terribly wounded by others, the common refrain about learning to forgive was not that when they forgave, suddenly everything was all right with the person who hurt them. No, what they would talk about, what they have talked about almost always, was if they were no longer carrying this heavy weight everywhere they went. They were no longer consumed by the pain and anger. And they found themselves able to move on into new life, whether or not the person who hurt them was part of that new life. Forgiveness does not mean that we forget the past or condone the past, nor does it mean that we suddenly like and reunite with the person who hurt us. But it does mean, as one person told me, that we stop wanting to hurt the offender or see them hurt. Forgiveness is not natural. It's a hard thing to do. That's why we pray every week, if not daily, for the help to do it. Forgiveness takes time and the grace of God. We may pray for months, even years, for the help to forgive someone and feel like we're getting nowhere. And then all at once is some woman who said to me, it was just like this great weight was lifted. 
all. And it's been that way. But sometimes it will be step by step. First, we rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. Perhaps those who we see and are reminded of those who hurt and shaped them. Then we get up. Then the next step is maybe we give up our right to get even. Finally, we may find ourselves praying, as someone once put it, that at least some good things come that weasel's way. Then we know that forgiveness and healing are at least beginning to take place. One thing that can also help when it comes to forgiving others is what Jesus is emphasizing to Peter and the other disciples here in Matthew 18. The real question in Matthew 18, the real issue when we pray the Lord's Prayer is this question. When it comes to our debtors, does it not make a difference to us that God has already forgiven our debts? The servant in the parable should be able to forgive the far smaller debt of the other servant to him after the king has forgiven his great debt, but he can't. Peter should be able to forgive others who have hurt him, not just once or twice, but 77 times or 70 times seven. We're not quite sure the Greek, what the Greek means, but basically count on it meaning countless times because God forgives us countless times. Even if we think that our debts to God, our sins are not big sins, we're staying out of jail after all, those little shortcomings, the daily ways that we fail God, fail others, hurt others, they mount up. We are all in need of grace from God. And if we're honest, grace from other people. In the parable, the first servant is unchanged by the mercy shown to him by the king. His heart remains hard, his spirit unchanged. This is not the way it's supposed to be when it comes to God. Grace should give birth to grace. God's forgiveness of our debts should free us to forgive the debts of others. So what about us? We sing and talk about grace, but do we live it out? Do we share grace with others? When it comes to us, God does not keep score. When it comes to others, can we stop keeping score? Again, we won't be able to do it all at once. But we pray day by day, week by week, that we can do it for our sake and for others' sake. Jesus tells this story of the unforgiving servant, servant as an example of how not to pray and live out the Lord's Prayer. But here's a reverse example. A true story about a man who knew what it meant to have his debts forgiven and what it meant to forgive the debts of others. At age 43, Monty Cox reached that terrible place alcoholics call the pit. He lived in an abandoned house with no running water or heat or electricity on a sprawling hog farm. He drank almost a quart of whiskey a day, someone recalls. His job, cleaning out hog houses. One day, though, the owner found Cox passed out on the ground unconscious, and then experiencing hallucinations. He was sent to the state detox unit. 
It was not the first time he had been in such a unit, but for some reason this time it took. Somehow, or should I say, with someone's help, he found the help he needed to re- not to return to the bottle. And that help came even before he became a Christian. God's grace is always there first, before we act. God wiped his slate clean, forgave his debts, gave them the power to start a new life. After that detox unit, Cox moved to a Christian shelter where he lived for the next two years. A wise pastor befriended him there, and he said, God sent you grace. Now you have to learn how to use it. Cox did that, but nothing came easy. First, he worked as an unlicensed mechanic here and there. Then he opened his own shop. The business eventually grew so that he had to hire mechanics to work for him. Who did he hire? Recovering alcoholics, those being released from prison. Not all were dependable or trustworthy, but Cox took a chance and gave them second and third chances. He was not a big talker, nor was he one to tell people what they should do, but he did tell each person who worked for him this one thing, one thing they never forgot. Grace is a gift from God. Now gratitude, that's taking God's gift and giving it to others. Grace, forgiving our debts, that's a gift from God. Now, gratitude and forgiving others as God has forgiven us, that's sharing grace. That's taking God's gift and giving it to others. In a few moments, we will pray again, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As you pray that, as you contemplate that and in the week to come, is there someone you're being called to forgive so that you can let go of the weight of past hurt that you've been carrying around? How? How can we share the gift of grace that God has given us? Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.